0: Amen. Thank you so much, students, for sharing with us this morning. I hope that you will turn with me in a Bible to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We have seen how... It is the Holy Spirit and only the Holy Spirit who can give birth to the church, starting with our individual lives, starting with our new birth. We saw that in John chapter 3. And in 1 Corinthians 3, we saw that the church, as the Spirit-born family of God, is also the Spirit-filled building of God. It is the temple of the Holy Spirit. And as such, we saw how God has been so gracious and so generous in showering the riches of his grace on people like us. He has been so good to us, and he is so good to us. But now we have to ask the question, what are we to do with all this goodness? God has been good to us, but good for For what? Good for what? What are we to do with it? And more specifically, what are we to be doing as the church of the Lord Jesus Christ? And what resources, what power is operative in us and through us as the people of Jesus? Spiritual gifts. How does God gift his church, to be the church, to be his people in this world. That is what we're looking at today. So I invite you to read with me in 1 Corinthians 12, verses 1 to 7. Now, about the gifts of the Spirit, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, somehow or other, You were influenced and led astray to mute idols. Therefore, I want you to know that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus be cursed. And no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service. But the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God at work. Now, to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. For the common good. Spiritual gifts. The church is rich. Every true church is a rich church. We saw that last week. And more specifically, we are rich with the gifts of the Holy Spirit. But how do we know what these gifts are? What are they to do and what are we to do with them? Here's what we need to know. True spiritual gifts showcase God's sovereign power, God's sovereign power. An unrivaled and free power to transform self absorbed sinners, self absorbed sinners like you and like me, into missions minded vessels of His goodness. True spiritual gifts. Showcase, they show, they demonstrate, to display for the world to see God's sovereign power to transform self absorbed sinners into missions minded vessels of His goodness. That's who we are to be. That's what we are to do. We are to be vessels of God's goodness. We are to channel the good gifts, the rich gifts that God has so generously poured out on us as his church to the world, to the world for the building up of the common good. So to see this, we need to see what God has given in the first place. We need to see what is so good about what God has given, and we need to see the purpose, the purpose for the good things that God has has given. And so, beginning with verses 1 to 3, we see what God has given. You'll notice that the Apostle Paul says, now, about the gifts of the Spirit, brothers and sisters. But in the original, in Greek, he really just says, now, about spiritual things or about spiritual people. The word gifts is not actually there. Virtually every translation I'm aware of supplies the word gifts because that's eventually where he moves. If you continue to read through chapter 12 and chapter 13 and chapter 14, it's clear that Paul's addressing misunderstanding in the Corinthians church about gifts. Some are becoming puffed up with pride about their giftedness. Some are feeling Look down upon because they don't possess the same gifts as another brother or sister. And so Paul starts in a very general way to say, Now, about spiritual things, brothers and sisters, about spiritual people, about spiritual matters in general, here's what you need to know. I need to clarify some things. And this is a vitally important place for us to start as well because we're living in a time and a place when we hear so often, I'm spiritual, but I'm not religious. You ever heard that? I know many people, I have friends who would say, I am spiritual, but I'm not religious. And what they mean is that they realize that there's more to life than we can perceive with our senses. We, they know that there's just more to life than can be explained by Simple scientific knowledge. But they don't want to confine themselves to any one form of religion. They want to tap into spiritual goods, but they don't want that to be confined to organized religion. They don't want to pin themselves down. They want to keep an open mind. And I'm sympathetic with that. Because you don't have to be in organized religion very long to learn there are sinners here, right? This is a a fallen institution, right? It is flawed, to be sure. But what Paul is showing the Corinthians and what the Holy Spirit is showing us now is that if you really want to understand what it means to be a spiritual person, you need to know about the Holy Spirit. While we are all innately spiritual creatures— We all have spiritual longings and spiritual cravings. Those longings and those cravings will always be incoherent. They'll always be fuzzy and vague until we are filled by the Holy Spirit dwelling in us and giving shape and form and guidance and direction to our spiritual lives. And that shape and that form looks like Jesus. Jesus is the answer to your spiritual longings and my spiritual longings. He is the answer to what ails this world. Amen? Amen. And so to know true spirituality, you need to know the Holy Spirit. So what has God given to us, to the church? He's given true spiritual life by the power of the Holy Spirit. Know that. And Paul reminds them of who they were before. He says, you know that when you were pagans, and most translations will say something similar, but what he literally says is, when you were Gentiles... Huh, when you were Gentiles, what does that mean? I mean, there are Jews and there are Gentiles, right? Paul says, when you were Gentiles, you have a new identity. And we know that this cosmopolitan metropolis of Corinth was a major Gentile center of trade and of learning. And we know that so many of those who came to faith in Christ were Gentiles. They were not Jewish people. They didn't have knowledge of the scriptures or the traditions of the people of Israel. But he's saying, you're not Gentiles anymore. God has given you a new identity. You're neither Jewish nor Gentile. You're part of the one new humanity that Paul describes in Ephesians chapter 2. One new humanity. You're not that anymore. And what characterized your life as pagans, as Gentiles? Somehow or other, you were influenced and led astray to mute idols. You were living a confused and bewildering existence and life. You were looking for answers. You were looking for solutions in all the wrong places to mute idols. You were living as the Gentiles live, but that's not who you are anymore because of the grace of God. He is reminding them. Everything you are and everything you have is a gift from God. Therefore, how dare we become puffed up with our giftedness, with our abilities? No. True spiritual life is given by God, your true identity in Christ is given by the grace of God. Never forget that. This is your story and my story to be led astray somehow or other, one way or another, this is our story, to look for hope in what cannot give us hope, to look for life in what is dead. Mute idols, things that cannot speak. And, and while I'm guessing you haven't bowed down to a statue lately, we have our idols, do we not? Our culture has idols. Sometimes it takes the form of a political solution. We think if we just elect the right candidates, if we just have the perfect policy, if we have the perfect legislation, the world will be made right. We think if I get into the perfect relationship, if this person would just change in this way, if I could just change in this way, then it'd be, it'd be great. If I could just Fix this thing with my career, or my job. If I could just fix this other problematic relationship, if my church could be just this certain way, those are all idols. They're not the answer, they're mute idols. But that's what our hearts are all drawn toward. Know that about yourself. And remember that by God's grace, He has rescued us from that, He's given us a new identity. And that new identity can only come from the Holy Spirit. Therefore, I want you to know that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus, be cursed. Jesus, be cursed. Now, I don't know about you, but even the most hardcore atheists or agnostics I've encountered probably wouldn't go this far. I mean, I don't think I need to curse Jesus. I mean, I'm not really that interested in him or I respect him, but I don't need to give my life to him. I think he's a worthy figure of history, but I don't feel the need to curse him. What is Paul talking about? He's talking about the fact that Jesus, as the crucified one, was seen By both Jews and Gentiles as accursed. And they ridiculed this. And the Jewish people pointed to the scriptures and they said, Look, it says in Deuteronomy whoever hangs on a tree, whoever is executed as a criminal, they're cursed. They got what they deserved. And this Jesus of Nazareth person that you guys are always talking about, clearly he was cursed. We also have some very interesting graffiti from the ancient world, scribbled into some concrete. There's a cross, and hanging on that cross is a man with the head of a donkey. You can look this up and see images online. And just below this man on the cross with the head of a donkey, there's a man in a form of prayer. Prayer. And scribbled next to it, it says, Alexander worships his God. Alexander worships his God. Do you get the point? It is total ridicule of anyone who looks to Jesus, the crucified person on the cross, the criminal cursed and rejected and forsaken on the cross as God. (laughs) Can you imagine The foolishness of such a thing. And apart from the Holy Spirit, that is our default setting. That is our attitude. That is the world's posture toward Jesus. Whether they say Jesus be cursed or not, Paul is saying, this is what we're like apart from the intervention, the sovereign free intervention of God's grace by the Holy Spirit. That's all of us. That's you. That's me. And it is only by the sovereign intervention of the Holy Spirit that we can say Jesus is Lord. Now you say, well, I can say Jesus is Lord. Nothing supernatural about that. I know plenty of people that have said that, and they don't seem to care what the Holy Spirit thinks at all, and they don't seem to live like Jesus is Lord. Well, understand that when Paul says this, what he means is when you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead... This crucified one, this criminal, this rejected, accursed man, that God raised him from the dead so that he is Lord of all. And he is the one to whom we all must give account. That conviction, that belief can only come from the Holy Spirit. All of that is what God has given. And it is so good. It is so good. Can you taste and see the goodness Of what God has given, rescue from sins, clarity about what truly matters, transparency about who is truly in charge in this world. All those good gifts have been poured out. But you know what is best? The very best gift of all? It's this God Himself. In giving us the Holy Spirit, God himself has chosen to dwell in people, in sinners like you and like me, not to tweak us, not to reform us, but to transform us from our self-absorption. And idolatry always comes back to self-absorption. Our idols always look like us. The things that we want and that we pursue, we are by nature, self-absorbed. Do you know that about yourself? Can you confess that about yourself? That's you, that's me, that's all of us apart from this sovereign intervention. Praise God for what he has given us. But what is so good about what we have been given? Verses 4 to 6. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God at work. The goodness of what God has given. And the goodness of what God has given is that God gives Himself for the strengthening and the benefit of others. He gives these good gifts to be given, not to be hoarded, to collect dust but to be used, to be exercised. And true spiritual gifts will lead to this kind of service. And we can call them gifts, we can call them service, we can call them work, but it's the same thing. And notice the triune, Trinitarian nature of Paul's language here. The same Spirit, the same Lord being Jesus, the same God being God the Father, working mutually with one another, to build up and equip God's people. Oh, the goodness of what God has given. Now, some of us have probably taken a spiritual gifts inventory at some point. Anybody done that? And those can be very helpful. I encourage you to do that. You can find one online. But, I wouldn't spend a whole lot of time stressing out about identifying just what your niche is, just what your spiritual gift is, for this reason. It's more important that you know what spiritual gifts are to do, and what are spiritual gifts to do? They're intended for the good of others. And more specifically, They are intended to strengthen the faith of others so that as a result of having been in your presence, as a result of having been a part of this fellowship, someone is more faithful to Jesus. So instead of stressing out about trying to figure out, was this my gift or that my gift, look for someone in need. Look Look for someone whose faith is in jeopardy. And do them some spiritual good. Because this is the Spirit of God gifting you and equipping you and empowering you for service. Do them some spiritual good. This also has profound implications for how we identify giftedness within a church. Because it's important to distinguish between natural abilities, natural God-given abilities, and spiritual gifts. They're related, but they're also distinct. So often in churches, and this has probably been your experience, you hang around church people for a while and they say, you know, you have a background in finance? Oh, we're getting you on budget and finance, okay? (laughs) Oh, you... You're good at raising money? Oh, stewardship all day long. You you say you like to help in the kitchen? (laughs) Food service, we got a place for you. You have a hospitable nature about you? You're welcoming? Hospitality, welcome team all day long. And that's generally how we do it. We look for people's natural abilities and we plug them in and we get as much out of them as we can, (laughs) right? Well, there are problems with that. Not only do we burn people out that way, but we need to understand that natural abilities are good, and they are God-given, and there are people who are not in the church who are exercising their God-given abilities, and they're very effective. But more important than asking, is this person going to be effective in this role? We need to be asking, Does this person know that what he or she has is a gift from God? And does this person continually depend upon the goodness of God to do this service? And are other people led to be more faithful to Jesus as a result of this person exercising his or her spiritual gift? Those are the questions we need to be asking. Not just, is this? are you good at it? Are you effective at this? Oh, you like to sing? we got a place for you. Okay, are you singing to the glory of God? Right? Do you see that as a gift from God? That's what we need to be asking. But I'm afraid we don't ask it enough. Now, can God take our natural abilities and use them as spiritual gifts for his glory? Absolutely. It's not like, oh, I became a Christian and I'm filled with the Holy Spirit, all of a sudden I can sing better. (laughs) It doesn't work that way. I wish, right? It doesn't work that way. No, you're probably a good singer before you became a Christian, but can God, by the power of the Holy Spirit, baptize that ability, so to speak, so that now you don't just sing for show, you sing for his glory, and to build up his church, absolutely. Now you don't just manage money, now you see yourself as a steward of what God has entrusted to his people. Now you're not just extending hospitality, you are welcoming people into the family of God. All the difference in the world. But God often does baptize our natural abilities and redirect them for his purposes and for his glory and for the good of others. That's the goodness of what God has given. Now, what is the purpose of what God has given? We see this in verse 7, the purpose. Now, to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good, Notice several important things about this verse. Now, to each one, to each one, that's all-encompassing. The Holy Spirit does not bypass any of God's people in gifting God's people. If you have been born again by the power of the Holy Spirit, if you have been purchased by the blood of Christ, if you belong to the Spirit-filled temple of God, then you have gifts to share To each one. Notice also that this giftedness is given. It's put in the passive voice. This is sometimes called the divine passive because God is the one who gives this. We can't take any credit for this. We can't be puffed up about this. If you become puffed up about your spiritual giftedness, then you don't know the first thing about true spiritual giftedness. You don't understand that true spiritual giftedness showcases God's power, his sovereign, unrivaled power to transform self-absorbed sinners into missions-minded vessels of his goodness. Oh no, it is given. We can't afford to be prideful about what we have. But it's all for the common good, for the building up for the benefit, for the strengthening of other people. And as a result, we have to ask ourselves this question. What is Tabernacle Baptist Church good for? What is Dane Hadley good for? What are you good for? Inside of God's sovereign purposes, inside of his kingdom... Are we good for anything? You say, oh, I'll be there. I'll be there every Sunday. You can count on my tithe and offering. Just, you can nominate me for anything. I'll do it. But are you really doing anyone spiritual good? As a result of having crossed your path, as a result of having shared in a worship experience at Tabernacle Baptist Church. Is there anyone who is more thankful to God for what they have? Is there anyone who is more joyful in their life? Is there anyone who is more confident in God and in his promises as a result of having spoken to you or been in your presence or been in our presence? Is there anyone who is more committed To repenting from their sins and trusting in Christ. Because to be sure, doing spiritual good to people will not always mean warm and fuzzy feelings. I'm exercising a spiritual gift right now by His grace and by the power of the Spirit. And if all you feel is warm and fuzzies when I preach, it's not true preaching. If you want a motivational speaker, you can find that elsewhere. Preaching the gospel means telling people the truth about themselves, about their sinfulness, about God, about what he's done for sinners, about where hope is to be found. And that won't always feel good, because it should lead to repentance from sin and trust in Christ. But are we good for that? Are we confident that if someone came to Tabernacle, they would hear the gospel? Can we be confident that if someone knows you, they would know that you follow the Lord Jesus? Are you good for that? Are you good for anything when it comes to God and the gospel and the kingdom of God? I praise God for the good that our students did in Mobile, Alabama. What a blessing to see tangible help provided to those in desperate need but we have to ask the same question here in Raleigh. What are we good for? Anything. I challenge you. When you wake up tomorrow morning, pray this. Lord, please give me an opportunity to use the spiritual gifts that you have poured into my life for the spiritual good of another person. I don't know who they might be. I don't know where, that, where I will meet them, but I, I want to do them some good. I want them to be more thankful, more joyful, more committed, more hopeful than they were before I met them. Would that be your prayer? I promise you, if you pray that, the Holy Spirit will not let that go to waste. If that is truly the desire of your heart, if that is the desire of Tabernacle Baptist Church, the Holy Spirit will not let that desire go to waste. That's what he uses. People who have that desire. May we be good for something. Amen? May we be good for something. May we be good for pointing people to Jesus, to the grace of God, because we've known it ourselves. We've tasted and seen that the Lord is good. Let's go to him in prayer now. Dear Lord, we confess that far too often we can become passive spectators among your people We confess that far too often we haven't cared whether or not we're building anyone up. We confess, Lord, that it is always easier to tear down, to be critical, to be negative, to point out what is wrong in others and in the world. But Lord, by your grace and by the work of your Holy Spirit in us now, I pray that you would rescue us from those pitfalls, that you would wake us up, that you would remind us of who we are, remind us of the goodness of what you've given to us in salvation, and that we would be eager and generous in sharing those good gifts with others, no matter who they are, no matter where they are, no matter what they've done, no matter what they haven't done, because we know in doing so, we reflect your character and your grace and the love of our Savior Jesus. And so we pray all these things in his name. Amen.